0: When I was a young boy, I would go to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, and every Wednesday evening. We had revivals that happened twice a year, spring and fall, and that meant church every night for a week, whether you had homework or not. Um, We also would have special events that would take place at the church from time to time, and we would go participate in those events. When I was a kid, uh, eventually I understood the plan of salvation, that Christ died for me and wanted me to come to faith in Him. And so what I did was, uh, when I was at about eight years old, I asked my mother if I could receive Christ, and she said, yeah. And I said, could Dad come too? And my dad came along, we knelt down beside my bed in my bedroom, and there with my mother on one side, my father on the other, I opened my heart and prayed to receive Christ into my life to be my Savior. I didn't really understand a lot about it. Of course, I was eight years old. How much can you understand at eight? Uh, You might be 80 today and still not understand a whole lot about it. That's not unusual in our our world today at all. Uh, It's kind of hard to really fathom somebody loving you so much that they would be willing to die for you, someone caring that much that they would take a cross and yet be able to resurrect. Wow, only God could do that, and He did, Jesus on the cross. And so we, we uh, begin our faith journey, and as I was in my early days of faith, I was saying to my mom, do I need to do that again? <laughs> do I need to do that again? Do I need, you know, do I need to get saved all over again? How, do, how does this work? And I was wondering, you know, how many times do you get saved, right? What do I need to do with this whole idea of salvation? Well, she said, unless you've really strayed far from Christ, you don't ever need to pray that again. You just continue to grow and develop. And if you feel like you've done something bad, you go over into the epistles end in the epistle, like first, second, third John, you go over there and it talks about if you sin, he's gonna. You confess it to him and he'll forgive you. So you just keep going. You don't have to get saved all over again every time. I said, oh, and I began to put that into practice because I used to think I had to get saved basically every day. And so uh, I was getting saved every day, not knowing the difference basically because I thought, well, if I had a bad thought, I probably need to get saved. And so I didn't understand that saved means forgiven of sin and born again, you know. And so I was wondering what that was. And so sometimes we have these. We have these feelings that make us feel like we're not saved, like we're not forgiven, like we're not part of God's family, right? And sometimes we have these emotions. When we really come into a service, we really feel good. We hear testimony like Chris and Leslie, and, and like was at the beginning of service, we sing some of the songs, and we think, wow, this is really great. And maybe our emotions go up a peg or two, and we're feeling really good about it, ready to take the week. But by the end of the week, we might be feeling kind of blah. We don't feel saved, Right? We're not at church, we're not having all that, so we're wondering, what in the world is going on with this? And so we start wondering what's happening. Well, this is one of the Hallmark passages, oh, don't get confused that with Hallmark movies. This is one of the great passages <laughs> on the idea that I have just presented, and this will help, this will help you, this has helped me so much, it's been unbelievable. Romans chapter 8, have your Bible open, log on to your device, go down to verse 29, and when you go to 29, it says this. Here's the goal of this passage. God wants us to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, Jesus Christ. This looks like an impossible task. This looks like something that we cannot do. Well, it's true on our own. We can't do it. But it's also true that with God, this is possible. So he begins to unpack for us in in this passage How we can live day to day with victory in our heart, knowing that we are forgiven, knowing we are a child of God, and knowing that if something happens to us, we absolutely will be able to go right on into heaven. I was a little bit puzzled one day when I met up with a guy who was in his 80s and attended this church for decades. And I talked about, you know, he was going through some sickness and I said, well, you'll be able to, to go into heaven soon. He said, well, I hope I do. I said, sir, we don't hope. We know. Paul said, I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day, he was saying. So in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, it says, your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. What's the attitude? It is surrender to God. It is willingness to follow God's plan. First Peter chapter 2 and 21 puts it this way. To this you were called that you should follow in his steps. We're going to get some snow here in the next few weeks probably. And when the snow comes, some of it's a little bit deep, you know, and uh, it's not always fun, right? And so if, if you're walking with someone, you could walk side by side. That's an option, right? If it is, say yes. If it is, say yes. yes. You could also follow them and eventually trade places and one of you follows and the other one follows, Right? You could do that because in following and then the other one following, in doing that, they can break the uh, snow track for you and help save your energy. Well, here's what happens. We follow in his steps. That's how we do this. This is powerful. So I want to look today at four uh, four specific parts of this passage that show us how we're assured of God's love and how we can have confidence in our daily walk with Jesus Christ. First, we'll look at five declarative questions. Sound long, but if you listen fast, this message will not be that long. Five declarative questions that show us God's plan for a win. Here you go in verse 31. Everybody say 31. Verse 31, look at this. It's a comparative question. If God is for us, boy, just ponder that, if God is for you, are you kidding me? The one who spoke the world into existence, the one who gave Jesus to die on the cross, who resurrected him from the dead, If, if God is for us, you could also say that since God is for us, God is for you. Did you know that? God is for you. The world's not for you maybe, the devil's certainly not for you, but God is for you. Then it asks the other side of that question. Who could be against us? That's a power pack, 32, listen fast. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up, that's talking of Jesus. In other words, the scope of love, the scope of salvation, gave him up, continues on. Now that he has given him, why wouldn't he give us all things necessary for our victory? (laughs) He wants you to win, everybody say, win. He wants you to win. Look at verse 33, here it goes, who will bring any charge? Who bring any charge? Yeah. Against those whom God has chosen. Those who belong to God. You say, "But am I chosen?" He calls us through conviction. That is the awareness of sin, not condemnation, through conviction. Satan condemns, gives no hope. Conviction is the Holy Spirit giving us an answer. The solution, he convicts us and says, Hey, there's more to life than this. You're going somewhere for eternity. There's an opportunity, a higher purpose. And so that conviction draws us, that's drawing of the Holy Spirit, and he draws us, and we open our heart to him, and we say, Okay, friend, you're part of his family as you open your heart to him. You're one of his, and that's what he's talking about right here. It's not hard. Don't make it hard. And then in verse 34, who is he that condemns? In other words, what pressure is trying to get you to doubt the scope of your salvation, the assurance of your salvation? The assurance that no one could really stand in evidence against us. This is powerful. Look at verse 35, fifth of those five questions. Who shall separate us? Who's going to separate us? Yes. Who's going to separate us from the love of Christ? he has died for you as his child. It is a massive statement. Notice that the attention goes to him and what he does for us. Someone would come to to accuse us, he stands between them and us. And he says, it is my blood, it is my son, it is my forgiveness. This is absolutely powerful. For look at verse 33. You can't save yourself, he says. It is God that justifies. The accuser will have no day with you in court. Aren't you glad for that? You get to heaven, you stand before God, and Satan's not going to stand there and say, well, yeah, but I remember when, all this stuff. Nope, gone. And God has forgiven you of your sin, and as you have confessed him and trusted him, he forgives you, and guess what? He makes you right before God, you're justified, just as if you had never sinned. Now, second, let's look at the God's knowledge about you. This is God's knowledge about you. This is powerful. He opens up your file and he has your name on it. Say your name out loud, your first name. Say it out loud, would you? Go ahead. Yes. Yes. And so he opens your file and he fills in your name and you stand there before him. Look at verse 29 of the passage, God did foreknow. What did he foreknow? He, foreknow your de- he foreknew your decision, your free will choice. He knew what you would do. He doesn't force you to follow him. That wouldn't be love. But he knew you would choose. In verse 29, he did predestinate that grace and opportunity would be made available to you. He did <clears throat> work it out for you to be born here in this country, to be sitting here in this service, and to know that Jesus Christ died for you. He worked that out for you. Are you letting him work it in you now? And look at verse 30. He called out to you through his Holy Spirit. You've been called to salvation. This is powerful. In verse 30, he did justify you to himself. He made you right with God. And in verse 30, he will glorify the believer just as he is glorified. This is powerful. Uh, Any of you get into baseball? Did you watch the World Series, a little bit of it? If you did, you saw that the Atlanta Braves won the World Series this last week. Good, Good deal for... One or two faithful, brave fans who made it up here into this land. But anyway, congrats to my brave fans over there. Anyway, they, they were able to hoist up that trophy because they won. You know what? Nudge your neighbor and wake them up. Some of your neighbors over there dozing. Get them awake, all right? If they're awake, say yes. Yeah. You're his trophy. And like that World Series trophy, he's going to hoist you up proverbially speaking, he's lifting you up and you up and you up and you up. He's going to be lifting you up. Isn't that powerful? He is going to lift you up as his own trophy of grace and present you faultless before the throne. Israel Houghton's mother, Israel Houghton wrote a number of songs. We sing some of them. I'm a friend of God and things like that. Israel's mother grew up in the Midwest. At 17, she became pregnant many years ago. And when she became pregnant, her folks gave her a choice, abortion or leave home. She said, I don't want to abort. I want to have my baby. I'm going to leave. She left, went out into California. And while living in California and on the streets of California, she got into some stuff that wasn't so good. She was standing on a street corner one day. And while standing there on a street corner on this day, there was a lady who walked up to her, handed her a Bible and said, I just want to tell you, God loves you. She didn't know that. She didn't think that. She didn't feel that. But in this moment, something began to happen. For the first time in her life, she opened up a Bible. First word she saw was Israel. She said, I'm going to name my baby Israel. (laughs) So she named her baby Israel, Israel Houghton. And she gave her life to Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. I want to tell you that Christ loves you, and he can forgive you, and he can set you free, and he can write you before God just as if you never sinned. Is it powerful I keep listening quickly. If you're ready to listen quick, say yes. Yes. Look at the devices formed against the soul. All of us have devices formed against their strategies to try to knock you out, to try to take you down. We've heard about things today in the early interview uh, just a little bit ago. They shared just a little bit about a marriage and how a friend came to them just trying to knock them out. And then we heard from Chris and Leslie a little bit ago and how the sickness came along to knock him out. I want to say to you, first of all, the devil is a background behind what we're seeing in these next few verses. In other words, it's his evil strategies that are applied against us. He is a liar. He is an accuser of us, and he wants to get us to doubt our faith. He wants to get us to say, well, I don't really have it. I'm not really alive in Christ. There's nothing really going on. So Paul starts out with an autobiographical sketch here. Look what he starts with in verse 35. Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword. Outward pressures, inward pressures. All kinds of pressures from the mind, from the external forces of life, people, and other things could come against us. Can they separate us from his autobiographical distractions that were given? He said no. He went beyond his own personal distraction and he said, shall physical death. No. Shall life and all of its temptations and trial No. Shall angels? Some say that might mean good angels. I'm not sure if it means good ones or bad ones, but the next mean bad because it talks about principalities. Those are bad angels. Powers, human rulers around us. Things present, events of the day. Things in the future, events of the tomorrow. Height and depth and any other conceivable thing in the universe he He wraps it up. Can anything separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? And he says, absolutely nothing. None of these things. Look at verse 37. But in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. None of these things will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I was so stinking glad when my mom finally helped me and coached me through understanding that I could be okay in my faith without having to pray every day that I might become a Christian. I remember one day in second grade praying and I said, because I was feeling all this guilt and condemnation. I mean, it's, it's really crazy how it worked, but I was feeling all this guilt and condemnation like I was some kind of sinner. And I had already prayed to receive Christ, going to church all the time, reading my Bible now and, and doing what I thought was right and all that kind of stuff. I had all this kind of stuff. I thought it was a Holy Spirit hounding me. Bringing me guilt. Bringing me condemnation. I did not understand it. It was a morbid season in my life. I'm just being transparent with you. It was a high stress time. School counselor couldn't understand what was wrong with me. Finally I talked it out with my mom and what was wrong with me was I didn't understand this passage. And I did not understand that Christ really, really loved me. And when I began to understand that, I began to live in victory. You see, Satan even tried back then to knock me out. Right then, knock me out so I wouldn't be a follower of Christ. I would just say it's too much. And I remember sitting there in the class and I said, Holy Spirit, if this is you, I want you to leave me alone. I don't want any more of this. I didn't know. And I began to turn a corner from that day on to where he relieved the stresses of the oppression that was trying to get me as a kid in grade school. Sometimes kingdom work happens in an early age in our life. And I began to grow in Christ and truly turn my life over to Christ with every part of myself and invited His Holy Spirit to have full authority on my life at age 14. And He turned me upside down and inside out and I became a witness at home, at church, at school, at work, Everywhere I went, <clears throat> they said, man, something has happened to you. My neighbor friend said, what's, what's wrong with you? I said, I have Jesus. He took over my life. Okay, let's look at that fourth thought, and that is this. This is our ultimate win. This is our ultimate victory. We've seen that Satan, the liar, was after us, but look what God is doing and investing in us. He has so much invested in you. He has so much to assure a victory for you. Even now, right now today, Romans 8, 34, in our passage from today, Jesus is interceding for you. That's what your Bible says. I didn't make it up. I'm not twisting it around to try to make it say something. He is interceding for you. Notice what it says in that passage. Who then is the one that condemns? That's Satan. Satan. We'll try to, but he says no one. I'm not even going to listen to him. Nope. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of the Father and is also interceding for all of us. He is hearing the prayers I taught last week. At the end of the service, I invite you up. If you want to pray with a pastor, you could. It sounded like, well, wait, you just said I didn't have to have a pastor. Now you're telling me, here's a pastor. Well, I wasn't trying to confuse you, but sometimes we like people to work with us in our prayers, and that's two or three gathered together. That's okay. But here we have the Father, Jesus, and we have Jesus himself. We have God the Father and Jesus sitting there beside him, and he's interceding for our prayers. So you pray a prayer. The Holy Spirit takes it to Jesus. Jesus interprets it to the Father, and the Father gives whatever he is planning to give to us powerful. Hebrews chapter 4 of last week, he serves our great high priest above all things. 1 John chapter 1 verses 9 through chapter 2 and verse 2, he is our advocating attorney. That's one definition you can give to the interpretation of that. He is our advocating attorney. You know, you need a good attorney if you have a legal problem, don't you? And the thing about it is, when you have that attorney sitting, we've got Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, himself as our legal attorney. And in our scripture here today, we understand in in verse 25 today that he is able to completely save those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for us. This is powerful. This is amazing here. This is incredible love. Look at verse 28 of your passage there. He assures us that all things will work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. One has said it this way. That is a soft pillow for a tired soul. And there have been some times I've had to just lay out on the pillow, if you will, of verse 28 and say, here I am. I don't have a clue what's going on right now, but I lay here. And look at verse 36. He faced trials So he's not going to desert us and say, nope, that one's too tough. I don't have an idea what to do with it. I don't even have a clue what to do with you. Nope. He knows, and he's touched with, listen to this, the feelings of our infirmities. Infirmities mean sin in the Old Testament, can mean sin in the New Testament, also means weaknesses. So in our temptations, in our struggles, in our darkness, he is able to intercede for you. This is absolutely powerful. So when we're traveling through life and whatever's going on in our life, we can say, Lord, I don't know how to raise these kids. Lord, I don't know what to do in my marriage. Lord, I don't know what to do in my singleness. I don't know what to do on my job. I don't know what to do with this sickness. I don't know what to do with this opportunity. Whatever it is, you can just cast it onto him because he cares for you. He cares a whole lot about you. It's incredible love. And look at what verse 37 says. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Isn't that powerful? So he starts out Romans chapter 8 of your Bible saying this. This is incredible. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We start with no condemnation as we are in Christ Jesus. Then we find out in verse 28 that he's going to work all things together for our good who are in Christ Jesus. That's powerful. And then we look at the end of Romans 8 and he says there's no separation with those who are in Christ Jesus. Charles Wesley put it this way, arise my soul, arise. Shake off your guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. And in one of the verses it says, With confidence I now draw nigh. With confidence I now draw nigh. And Father, Abba, Father, cry. My God is reconciled. His pardoning voice I hear. Listen to this. Not that pretty, but listen to the words. They're good. He owns me for his child. I can no longer fear. His blood atones for all our race. His blood atones for all our race. And sprinkles now the throne of God. This is powerful. And he offers you salvation to be adopted into his family today. Have you received his adoption? Have you confessed your sin and trust him as your savior? He loves you. He loves you immensely. Flight 225 was taken off out of Detroit. This is Northwest Airlines, been a few years back. Plane takes off and then crashes at a highway. Didn't really get very far up at all. They were in trouble. 155 people died. So sad. Highway, plane, carnage everywhere. Cecilia Sican, she was four years old, that's her picture, four years old, the emergency team, they found her in a seat and they thought she must have been from a car, she was out and displaced and they couldn't figure out how in the world she would have survived because they knew everybody on the plane died. But then they went back down through the roster of the plane and realized Cecilia's name was as a passenger on the plane, not a passenger in the car. Oh, my goodness. They were overwhelmed. She was four. She was old enough to talk and know what happened. They asked her what happened. She said, my mom unbuckled her seatbelt, knelt down in front of me, wrapped her arms around me so nothing else would hurt me when we had to crash and that is what Jesus did for you will you accept him will you trust him what are you waiting on he's done his part it's up to you just receive him just trust him only believe I sense him here, don't you? He's in this room. That quiet is him. He's here. Nothing freaky, nothing deaky. You've gone to church all your life. Religion you've tried. I'm not asking you to join religion. I'm asking you to open your heart today to Jesus. And to not live with guilt and condemnation and worry and dread about are you right with God But to live in victory Lord Jesus just now there may be some that are confessing their sin and just acknowledging and saying to you something like Lord Jesus I'm a sinner I recognize my sin I recognize you died on the cross you love me you did it for me you rose from the dead to provide forgiveness and assurance that you are God I trust you as my savior I don't trust anything else I came into this world with nothing. I will leave with nothing but the assurance I have in you. Thank you for your transforming grace in me just now as I receive you. Amen.